Support for the Big O Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement today for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs. On today's episode, I am joined by four-time Great Cup champion and arguably the GOAT of the CFL, Damon Allen. We're going to talk about his professional football career, what it was like growing up in the Allen household, and we're also going to talk about a time he went toe-to-toe with Michael Jordan in the minor leagues of baseball. All this plus much more on the Big O Podcast. Welcome back for another episode of the Big O Podcast. Today, I am joined by a Canadian football icon, four-time Grey Cup winner, three-time Grey Cup MVP, and arguably the GOAT of Canadian football, Damon Allen, a.k.a. USDA. Damon, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. I I guess you got USDA from my brother, Michael. (laughs) Well, listen, I I try to do a little bit of research, and when USDA comes (laughs) out, I'm... I'm about to say, I heard that before (laughs) from my brother. He says that, but um, he says that a lot on Facebook. Um, (laughs) But I'm doing. I'm actually doing good. Excellent. Actually doing good. You know, we're going through this COVID period and always constantly trying to adjust and trying to abide by the you know, the bylaws or um, and how we're supposed to operate. But at the same time, you know, it's you're thankful that uh, you're healthy and you're trying to maneuver yourself in this life and adjust and adapt. But uh, the main thing is that we're still here. 100%. And we'll talk a little bit about COVID as we go through. But I will have to say, you know, COVID has not stopped you. You recently played, I think it was 18 holes at a par three just the other day. (laughs) You put it on Instagram Live. Uh, Two questions to start off with. Uh, What did you shoot? And how many more rounds are you trying to play with the potential shutdown coming soon to golf courses? That day I went live. Uh, I was uh, even. I had okay. uh, two birdies and two bogeys. And uh, it was just an executive uh, part three. And so, you know, I decided that I didn't want to hit balls on the mat. So I figure out, you know, do my lessons and, you know, the extra <laughs> shots and all these different things uh, on the grass. And so it, you play much better, right? Yeah. I think the mat sometimes give you a false uh, confidence that like all the balls that you're hit, they're going straight, but uh, sometimes you're digging deep into the mat. And so, um, uh, you know, that's when I went live, I decided that's how I'm going to, you know, slowly get into in, involved in golf and, and work on a lot on my part threes, a lot of iron work. And, you know, even till that day since I, I didn't hit my driver until I played 18 holes last Sunday. Wow. So, I mean, you're, you're turning into quite the golfer and you know, where we are right now in Ontario, it looks like golf courses might actually end up getting shut down in the coming days because you know, the numbers are are going through the roof. What are you going to use then? If you can't get onto the golf course, how are you going to get your golf fix in? Well, I think one of the things, you know, um, that I have, you know, tried to do on a daily basis is, is exercise. Um, you know, just staying in the house and uh, <laughs> no exercise, you know, you can easily put on weight and you can do a lot of eating. Um, and so you definitely have to maintain 
and there's a balance there. Um, but if it's shut down, I'm going to still train. I'm going to still work, you know, work on my conditioning. Um, and then one of the things you can do is, you know, a lot of core work, uh, <laughs> a lot of plyos. I mean, so you, you don't necessarily have to go to the gym, but as long as I stay uh, mobile and elastic, um, range of motion and all those things, I think I should be all right at 57. So if we're not going live on Instagram for your 18 holes, we're going to get like a live Instagram workout video from Damon's yes, personal I, gym. <laughs> Is that what we're going to get? Well, I, I think that it's, uh, I started going live again is due to the fact because for a long time I haven't been live and, and it just gives me an opportunity to connect with people that, uh, you know, guys that follow me and, and, and people that follow you. And so, just wanted to check in and see how they're doing in the midst of this COVID and try to encourage them to get out, get out and, um, you know, work on your conditioning and do all those things. Because I mean, it, it, it can, I can see people starting to get um, a little crazy in a sense, you know, yeah. standing in the house, you know, one year, one year is, is okay. But when it starts to go, you know, pass a year and into, you know, can't foresee the future. I mean, two years in the home, man, is, you know, without, you know, the the natural vitamin D, you're seeing the sunshine and light and walking and breathing. Um, it just doesn't make sense, even in the midst of this COVID. And it seems like Canada's sort of in this weird flux of being late to the party. Because the United States, I mean... They had small crowds for the World Series. They had limited audiences for the NFL season. The NHL has now opened it up. And now we're starting to see more and more fans be allowed into these stadiums and arenas for pretty much every sport, including when the Blue Jays had their opening weekend in Texas. They had a full like 50,000 fans in the crowd, maskless mandate in Texas, so they don't have to wear masks anymore. You know, what was it from your days, you know, going back to when you were playing uh, in the CFL, what did the fans mean to you and what would you, ha what do you think the difference would have been if you had to play either in front of a limited crowd compared to a packed stadium? Well, I think what the one thing you have to understand as well, um, when you play on these football teams, uh, you, you kind of sense have these kind of practices, you know, it may not be real games, but we're, you know, we're doing real scrimmages and things like that. And so, and we're not having the audience during those times. And so, you know, even though we may not be used to not playing with other fans, but it's something that we do actually every day when we practice and competing against the defense and, and those things. But now, you know, the scoreboard's on and it's keeping score. I mean, that's really the only difference. Right. <laughs> uh, and so uh, when the season starts and you're playing a, lim a limited amount of games, uh, the season is, is live and you, you go right back to, you know, you want to win a championship and whether it's no fans in the stadium or the stadium's packed. I mean, there's, there's times that, you know, I've been in stacked stadiums been in great cup games where you know 60 million not 60 million but uh 60 000 people at the game 15 million people watching you know and at the game you don't even hear them i mean so you because you're so focused and so in tune with the game and so 
you you know it's there because you know you score a touchdown and people are cheering but when you when you're focused for 60 minutes and sometimes you you don't even realize the fans are out there right i mean that, it's an interesting perspective you brought up because i've spoken to some sports media types i've spoken to some former athletes including a current MLS player. And you're the only one who brought up the fact that you practice in front of no fans. And so you're kind of used to a little bit of that environment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Which is a very interesting perspective because most people said, you know, depending on the sport, you really feed off of the crowd, whether it's the chance, whether it's, you know, completing that 18 yard quick out with a minute 20 left to go and trying to get into field goal range mm -hmm. and, getting up to the line and either quieting down the crowd. Cause like, listen, we're trying to win this game here. We appreciate you, but let us just do what we're supposed to do. So it's a, it's an interesting and fresh perspective of we do this on a daily weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of, of experience that you have with it. But like you said, when the scoreboard goes on, things tend to change just a little bit when people are keeping yeah, track yeah. of stats. <laughs> It's the scoreboard that makes the biggest difference <laughs> when the That's scoreboard is on and the scoreboard keeps score. And, you know, regardless if there's fans or no fans, if you need to complete, you know, that fourth and six, you know, to keep the drive going, it doesn't matter who's in the stands. Uh, right. <laughs> but clearly, you know, people in the stands, you know, they bring energy, they create energy. And so they just make it that much better to, to play in front of. Now, I do apologize the introduction didn't quite do Damon Allen justice. But to be fair, if I was going to list all of the all of the accolades that you have accomplished during your professional football career, I would have used up all of the time that we have together today. So before we get to the accolades, I want to talk to you about where it all began for you. In San Diego, with spray-painted foul poles, uh, bases, and a home plate. Take us back to Allen Field and what that meant for you growing up in San Diego? You know, I think, uh, you know, when you have two older brothers and and you're three years and four years apart, you know, clearly, you know, I've watched my brother Harold and Marcus, you know, grow up. You know, they may have started uh, football and baseball a little bit later, but because I'm younger, that means I started a little bit earlier. Right. And so... When they're about 10, um, 11 years old or around that age, I mean, you know, I'm seven years old, seven, six, and I'm playing Mighty Mike. Yeah. I'm playing um, uh, midget baseball and they're going right to the majors because they're at that age limit from, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old. And so the fact that I got a chance to play at the different levels and see it all you know, I think prepared me in a sense. And sometimes uh, you know, when you watch them and you watch uh, your brothers and you know that your father played a little bit of baseball too. And so uh, I, I always tell people that we're actually a baseball family. It just right. so happened to two of us played football as well. And anyway, many of us played football, but two of us played football professionally. So, you know, those are the two, pretty much the two sports that we played growing up baseball and football and going right, you know, from one sport to the next, you know, we did play basketball in high school. So I was a three sport um, athlete, you know, coming out. But then when university came about, I mean, I was still playing baseball and football <laughs> all the way till because at seven years old, 
the one thing I did know is I wanted to pursue those two sports. Right. And I wanted to give myself options and, you know, thankful enough that I was able to play it baseball and football at all the different levels, win at all the different levels. And eventually gave myself an opportunity to pick one sport or the other, depending on what I wanted to do that day. It's, it's interesting because I did, I knew that you were a two sport athlete, but I didn't know just how good of a two sport athlete you were until I started doing a little bit of research. I don't know if there's anybody who has won a college world series and a gray cup or even a college world series and an NFL championship. Like I, like the accolades and I joked about this earlier, but I'm dead serious. Like the accolades that you have racked up throughout your career is nothing short of incredible. Um, you've had success from the youngest of ages since you were started playing football at a young age and <laughs> yeah. took over. You were you were winning, and then when you go to when you go to high school, when you go to college, when you go to the CFL. I mean, maybe you could say the only stop that gave you a little bit of a challenge was the USFL, and we'll get to that and and who you were sort of behind there. But I mean, that was two years, and well, it wasn't a USFL. Um... Because I never played in the USFL. I had you uh, playing or on the Los Angeles Express. Is that incorrect? Yes, they they had my rights. I never okay, played. they had your rights. There we go. Okay, so it's yeah. like half a point for for being correct there. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. You're right. <laughs> so you know, I can explain that a little bit because they had my rights, and that was during the time when uh, Steve Young was their quarterback that year. And I guess he signed an annuity, and then. I guess he was supposed to at that time, you know, go to the National Football League. And so I was just coming out at that time before they, you know, the LA Express, you know, ran out of money. So I guess they gave all their money to Steve Young at that time. <laughs> but I mean, it, it would have been interesting because um, I might have went that route uh, and played in the USFL before I came to the CFL if, if, um, the USFL, you know, didn't run out of money. Right. Because like I said, I was the property of the LA Express. And I wonder, I mean, if they decide to not go with Steve Young, you know, and we go with the young Damon Allen from Cal State Fullerton, maybe you would have been the savior for the USFL. Maybe you would have put enough butts in the seats to say, hey, this is going to be our franchise guy. You know what? They went with Steve Young and look what happened. They have to fold up and being from Canada – we're extremely grateful for the fact that you decided to take your talents north of the border because when we start to talk about what you did in the CFL, you know, great cups, four great cups, three different teams, the awards, the fact that you became this amazing icon in Toronto, which I would say is probably one of the most important franchises for the CFL when it is being successful. And you know, it, it just means a lot because you ended up inspiring a lot of athletes to take up the sport of football because when you came in, there also wasn't a ton of black quarterbacks. And so when you come into the NFL or when you come to the CFL, you are now allowing people to identify with something that they ne didn't necessarily believe that they could do. But now they see someone having your success on the grandest of stages in the CFL and just playing professional football. Did, has anybody ever talked to you about the impact that you've had because of that? Because 
of how you carried yourself and the success that you had uh, being in the CFL? I think I, I, in a sense, I had really good mentors too. And, uh, and I had a great, a great amount of respect for history. And so, you know, coming in, understanding that, you know, that position, uh, the National Football League wanted to switch my positions, but I already knew about, you know, all the other quarterbacks that went through, through the challenging. I'm not saying that uh, they didn't succeed, but there was always challenges for um, uh, African-American quarterbacks, you know, playing in the National Football League. And, um, and so I understood that portion of it because, you know, I knew about uh, Joe Gilliam. He was the first quarterback I ever seen because he was like built like me. He was, you know, skinny, long, long legs, skinny, long arm, whippy arm. And he, and he wore high white socks. And so <laughs> that was the first quarterback I identified and seen. Like they, I can, I want to be like Joe Gilliam. And, and then after that, you know, you knew about James Harris, but I was always trying to find guys that were very similar to my build because, you know, me coming out, you know, I didn't play football my 10th grade year at all. And, and because I dealt with self-doubt, not right. self-doubt because I think I couldn't play, but self-doubt for me, the struggles that I had and the challenges I had was I always thought I was too small to play. Right. And that very thought process stopped me from doing the very thing I was passionate about. And so that's why it's, all important. it's always important for, you know, coaches, people to encourage in those things because it took a coach to encourage me to get back into the game and play um, my JV team 10th grade year for the last five games he wanted me to play. He's like, hey, we lost our quarterback. We've seen you play in Pop Water. Hey, play these last five games. And so he talked me into it. And I played the last five games. I threw like 20 touchdowns in five <laughs> games. And then the next year, I was the starting quarterback of our varsity team. We go to CIF and win, uh, go undefeated. Then the next year, we went CIF again. And I lose two games in two seasons. And then before I know it, you know, I'm getting a scholarship to go to the university, play quarterback. And so I, I think it's those times when you, you look at that you always, I always choose the words of encouragement to young men or anybody in sport and just to believe in themselves and work hard and don't worry about your size. And this is, this is why I say you were an inspiration to the next generation of athlete, because again, we so often try to envision ourselves in whatever realm we want to do. So whether it's sports media, whether it's an athlete, whether it's uh, a singer, actor, actress, whatever, we try to say, okay, who do I sort of look like that's already doing it? And then if I see myself as that, okay, I can do this now too, which is why, you know, women in sports has taken such a huge skyrocket over the last, you know, 10 years you know, mm. the fact that we the United States now has a female vice president who's also black, who's also South Asian. So, I mean, mm. the inspiration continues, continues, continues to grow. And it's amazing because you're talking about you doing that yourself, you know, seeing guys who've played on the biggest stage. Who do I look like? Not just because of maybe my talent, but my size. And you said, you know, mm. your size was one of the biggest holdbacks. But now you're starting to see, you know, you see a guy like Doug Flutie, for instance, 
tiny guy. Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's not a big guy whatsoever. And I read an article uh, about your Cal State Fullerton coach in the recruitment process of sending guys to come and see you playing during your high school days, and they said, you know, if he's anywhere close to five ten, let's give him a scholarship. If he's taller than 5'10", let's give him nine scholarships. And so, again, you're talking about the thing that you doubted yourself the most, and yet your skill was just at such a level that they were like, listen, Mm -hmm. if he's a little bit shorter, that's totally fine. We'll make it work because we want him that bad. And you go on to kill it at Cal State Fullerton. You know, you lead the Titans to two Pacific Coast Athletic Association titles. You broke a 26-year NCAA record launching more than 300 passes with only three interceptions while yeah. getting that nickname of USDA that I absolutely <laughs> yeah, love. Yes. U- United States of Damon Allen, but, you know, for anyone else, USDA is, right. you know, great of beef, you know, prime rib beef, triple, right. quadruple A, and you're talking about being this the skinny kid. You know, what does, what does that mean? That your biggest doubt is just size, but you continue everywhere you go in every sport you play. Just continue to get better and overcome the obstacles in front of you. You know, I, I'd like to say it's a, the fact that I understand history and um, and know the history of black quarterbacks, and I, I can have a greater appreciation because you know I can look at Jackie Robinson's um, career, and he couldn't he couldn't dress with his team. I mean. Yeah. He had to come be the last person that come to the stadium uh, because of the death threats and all the things that he had to deal with. You know, he comes to the plate and he's pretty much has two strikes on him already. Yeah. And all the things that are going through um, and you look at um, how he handled the situation, you know, he handled it with such uh, class and grace, but you, you, you clearly you had to be tough mentally. And so I think, when you understand the story of the, um, you know, Warren Moon, you know, which is one of the other quarterbacks I followed throughout my career, and you read about his story, I mean, you, you come to know that your stories are very similar. Yep. It's a position that you're always doubted, that you can lead an organization and franchise. But through my experience, I've, I've you know, I can say, well, I won a championship at every level of football that you can think of from Pop Warner to the different divisions of Pop Warner and high school, university and pros. And so I think I, I, I brought on that mentality of toughness um, and skill and intelligence and, and determination to, to win championships because, you know, we all are brought up as quarterbacks saying that championships really define, you know, how good you were. And those things. And so, you know, if I want to be talked about, then, you know, championships also has to be a part of it. And so, and then watching my older brother, Marcus, and what he deal with mentally, how tough he is and skillful he is and those things, you realize that you, you're, you have good bloodlines too. Right. And, and, and that brings confidence. And, and so like, even today, like, you know, you still watch, you know, the quarterbacks, the games, uh, you're still in that, uh, when you watch a game, I, I look at the game totally different than probably fans do it. And, but at the end of the day, you know, I still got that competitive fire for sure. Um, and anything that I do and that will never leave me. 
but I can really truly appreciate it in um, you know the hard work and dedication it takes to not only play with skill but play with toughness mentally uh, because like it says you're going to be questioned I mean even though when I was winning championships I was still being questioned as a leader of course <laughs> which is which is always crazy to me right it, but I'm like what are you guys talking about you're questioning if I can lead a team to a championship. I've already done it three times or four times already. Yeah. You know, basically four different teams because everybody said, well, Edmonton is the same team. I said, yeah, by uniform, but understanding my career, I came there the first four years and I left and came back. So I came back to a different team and took them again. So that's why I always say, you know, four, four teams. Four great cups and four different teams. It is time to talk about below the waist grooming. It has never been easier to take care of your package. And thanks to Manscaped, they have all of the necessary tools for your family jewels. Let's be honest. The last 18 months have been tough on everyone. But as we begin to return to normalcy, it is time that we ensure that when we finally unveil ourselves, we are looking and feeling our absolute best. Nothing says I came to play like a clean cut workspace. Ladies, if you didn't receive the Mother's Day gift that you wanted, take control and get your man the tools to succeed so he can take care of your every need. With Father's Day just around the corner, Manscaped has got you covered with the best precision engineered tools. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team have perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever with the Lawnmower 3.0. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. And one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. If you're watching or listening to this right now, I want you to click the link in the description and experience it for yourself firsthand. That's why Manscaped is offering 20% off and free shipping when you use the code thebigo 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping. Just click the link in the description below and head over to manscaped.com. Make sure you use the code THEBIGO20. Your balls will thank you. You're right. I mean, same franchise, but completely different set of offensive weapons and coaches and schemes and all of those things. So, I mean, you brought up two things that I definitely want to come back to. Number one being, you know, your success at every level and understanding that, when you talk about greatness, oftentimes it is defined by championships. So we're gonna we're gonna come back to a goat conversation very shortly. Yeah. But I want you brought him up, and I was gonna try not to bring him up because I told you before the podcast I have a personal bias towards your brother because of his alma mater. My parents went to USC. Obviously, your brother won the Heisman there. Ended up winning an NFL championship with the uh, with the LA Raiders, and. I have to ask you, you know, until 2024, you and Marcus are currently the only brothers to be elected to two pro football hall of fames. You know, this meant the world to your father, Harold senior, but in doing some research on your career, I find it extremely hard to find a bigger fan of yours than Gwendolyn, your mother. What was it? (laughs) 
what was it like to have two supportive parents and just between you and me, no one else is listening right now. Who was their favorite? You or Marcus? I think Marcus was their favorite. He's the older brother. And so, and you know, his story is so unique. Um, and it really shows like his, his, his ability to adapt. I mean, cause you know, if people that actually really know his story, you would think what he was able to do is just phenomenal for someone who left high school that was a quarterback and a free safety. And he goes to USC as a free safety. So he didn't go as a running back on right. those things. He switched his position in university because he wanted to win the Heisman. <laughs> wow. And so my question is, who does that? Yeah, who nobody. does that in college football? We're not talking about like Emmitt Smith or you know Eric Dickerson and all these other running backs that are great that have been playing running back their whole life since they were kids. Right. We're talking about someone who goes to college, says he wants to win the Heisman, he changes his position, and then he accomplished all the things he, he has accomplished and played quarterback. And so at the end of the day, man, like you said, we're athletes <laughs> that have the ability to adapt and, and play the position the way it's, you know, we feel it should be played. And what was it like having the support of your parents? Like having, you know, your dad from the time that you guys can walk, you guys were, you know, playing baseball or, or running with a football or were just being active and out there. What was it like to have both of them have such a strong influence, either through sports or through support? Well, I mean, it's very thankful. Like, you know, especially in these days of COVID, I mean, my, you know, my parents have been married over 65 years Ooh. or more. And they're still they're still alive. And during the time when we were growing up, whatever we were involved in, my father was a coach, uh, and my mother was the team mother. So it's just like uh, when you think of the Canadian families here, and they, when they spend time in the summer, they go to Muskoka, and they all got their house, and they all together. You know that our summer times were at the baseball diamond and the football field. Right, working and putting in work. Uh, all my brothers playing in different uh, divisions and teams. So when we at the at the baseball diamond, we're uh, you know, my brothers, my duo, my brother played for the Braves. I played for the Red Devils. My brother Michael <laughs> played for somebody else, and then you know my sisters running around, and then I have a you know, you know, three year old brother at that. T- you know, he wasn't then, but he was three years old. Yeah, when my brother was running for the Heisman, and I was in university, I had a three year old brother. And his name is Darius. But, you know, I just think in that sense, um, you know, the family togetherness, you know, we're close. And we know the importance of, like, having that strong foundation. So, you know, we always say, you know, I didn't have to look any further than our dining room table for our heroes. They were at the table. And so it made it easier. To have both for your parents, right? And to guide, to be tough, challenge, and, and all those things. And definitely, you know, my father, you know, he was a disciplinarian, uh, but my mom was a very loving, but, you know, um, she was firm as well. 
I, listen, I, based based on how everything worked out, it seems as mm-hmm. though, you know, if you could bottle that up and put it into like a secret sauce or, or a recipe, you know, that's what you want your parents to be like. You know, I have two kids, a third one coming in a couple of weeks, and I'm mm-hmm. still, you know, I'm trying to figure out, trying to find that same balance that, you know, your parents had of, you know, the strict the strict, but also firm, but also loving because you can't do one without the balance of the others and knowing when to turn it on. And, you know, you yourself are mm-hmm. a father. How have you taken some of the lessons that your parents gave you <laughs> and turn that into how you're helping raise your children? Well, I mean, you, you understand that, um, you know, communication uh, is important, but at the same time, you know, you basically are, you know, I am my father in a sense. Right. I am my brother Marcus and Harold and like Sandy, even though we we got spankings. Right. But we, we never felt that we were in love. Right. So it's the it's the combination to be able to discipline and then you know know that, you know, but you know, when we're, when we're being disciplined, it's because we've done some yeah. <laughs> we done never un- that we were never unwarranted supposed to do. Like uh, <laughs> You know, I was a kid and I was throwing rocks and, I, you know, we were throwing rocks. I hit my sister in the forehead. And I, I think I went to sleep like it, like, you know, it wasn't, it was ugly, man. <laughs> I went to sleep like at noontime, like oh. like 11 o'clock or 12, because my mom says, wait till your dad get home, right? I was like, oh, man, I'm going to bed. Hoping he forgets that I'm asleep and he's not going to, but, um, you know, those are just the, you know, the way uh, we were raised and, and then like I said, we had great grandparents, uh, you know, like I said, we, it was never a day that we didn't feel like we we're in love. And so we feel like we can accomplish anything as well. Right. Because of the supporting cast that we had. Right. So my first team, like my father always say, your first team is your family. And so right. that's how I learned to be a team player. That's how I learned about uh, team concept. Is through your first um, uh, mini team in your family. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine some of the uh, trouble that you would find yourselves into with you know. Oh these yeah, we yeah, we were in trouble. Yeah. Testosterone flowing in the summertime, and it's just you know the passion between all of you. Just I'm sure it was incredible. Yeah, we're we're quite competitive, and we played in the street back then. You know, you can play outdoors in the street all day long. I mean, we're out there all day, and so you know, only time we came in the house really is to you know dinner time. But other than that, man, we was outside, man, competing. You know, trying to hold down our street, went uh, ten oh three Winston Drive. You know, <laughs> and you know, and it's funny too is back then we used to have streets teams right you know we, we we're from 10 to 3 winston drive we're from winston drive <laughs> playing against another team that you know they, they might be you know fletcher street right right we're playing you know tackle football so you imagine you know the the talent level that was on our street because we had the jackson brothers you know monty monty and uh jackson that played in uh at san diego state <laughs> and uh Play for the Giants and the Jets. Right? They live on our street as well. That's not fair. It was, it was competitive, right? And so we, we knew about the Jacksons. David Grayson lived on our street as well. That played for the Raiders for a number. David Grayson Sr. We played with his son, uh, David Jr. So it was, like I said, we were competitive. 
I'm glad you brought up the Graysons because it brings me to this. I want to ask you a trivia question if you will indulge me. Other than you and your brother, Marcus, there have been two other notable athletes to graduate from Lincoln High to win a major sports championship. Do you know who these athletes are? So they went to your high school and then won champ- major championships uh, once they left. Do you know who these athletes are? Well, of course, one played for the Raptors. Uh Okay, I'm not. I wasn't. Norm I wasn't Powell, sure. Norm Powell went to, do you know Norm Powell with the Lincoln? Yeah, I did. Well, I, it's in my research. Yeah, Norm Powell was one of them. 2019 NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors. Do you know the second one? The other running back that went to Lincoln uh, played for Denver Broncos. <laughs> I like you just say well, casually. Uh, the the other the other <laughs> the other two times Super Bowl winner, Hall of Fame core uh, running back. You know that guy. Yeah, Mr. Terrell Davis. Um, incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing yeah, some but research. I, think, uh, I don't know if you know about R- Wally Henry. Yeah. Um, Wally Henry played for the Philadelphia uh, Eagles. Uh, I think he won a Rose Bowl. You know, there's a lot of like running backs, like Ricky Williams, who's from San Diego, went to Patrick Henry. There's four, there's four uh, Heisman Trophy winners from San Diego. Jeez. I mean, Ricky Williams came and played in uh, for the Toronto Argos at one point as well. That's right. That he came, and I remember he actually came to my high school one time. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, you got uh, Ricky Williams. You, you got Marcus. You got Sal- uh, Salam Salim uh, that won the Heisman. You had Johnny Rogers. <laughs> yeah, there, there were quite a few notable uh, people. What yeah, I was more – from uh, USC. Um they went play for the New Orleans Saints. Won the Heisman. Uh, Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush. That's my guy. All from Reggie San, Bush. All from San Diego. The Bush push. I remember where I was and exactly the moment when the Bush push happened uh, against Notre Dame with Matt Lionart and Reggie Bush to get them to complete their undefeated season mm-hmm. uh, to go on and and lose to Texas. I don't like to remember that part of it, but uh, Reggie Bush was probably the the most memorable collegiate football player of my time growing up uh, I, I loved him when he went and played uh with new orleans because you know it was very exciting him and drew Brees, right absolutely killing it and uh speaking of mr breeze you know he just retired and i was talking about your accolades and talking about the goat conversation you know to this point um you know you've again four-time Grey cup champion three-time Grey cup mvp CFL All-Star, 2005 Most Outstanding Player. People forget that at one point you were the all-time leader in passing yards and are still currently number four in that category with players only of Drew Brees, Anthony Calvillo, and the greatest NFL quarterback to ever play the game, Mr. Tom Brady. A little bit biased, as you can see. I am a New England Patriot fan. Um, But what does it mean to you to know that you're amongst the greatest to ever play the game. And does it ever bother you that uneducated people don't give you the credit simply because you played in the CFL? No, I don't really look at the credit because, you know, you know, I'm just thankful for, you know, my longevity, um, the ability to play so long and all those things. I mean, everyone's career is different. And like saying, not everyone. Like I said, I, I don't think I ever played the game for, you know, the, the praise for other people, right? Right. It's always about the things that I enjoy doing and and trying to play as long as I want. I remember Ronnie Lott told me one day, he says, stay on scholarship. And I knew exactly what that meant. 
right play as long as you can of course yeah and i when i was being inducted in the san diego hall of fame i was talking to dan fouts okay and we're sitting at the table and he's like man and he was marveling like man i can't believe you play so long <laughs> right <laughs> and you know in that time i didn't realize that you know dan fouts you had watched uh me play or right. my career but um you know, I, I think people recognize, you know, like says, you know, game recognize game, you know, just despite, despite uh, what league you played in, you know, a lot of people can't, you know, fathom what, you know, I was able to do and play so long and to be able to still, you know, at 41, 42 win leagues, most outstanding player, you know, which that that's hard to do in, in any league right now. For sure. I mean, that's hard to do at 22 years old, let alone towards the end of your career. I mean, that's right. what, what you're able to do is simply amazing. And I bring this up because, you know, I said off the top, arguably the CFL GOAT, greatest Canadian football player, greatest quarterback to grace the CFL. And the reason I say that is because I hold Tom Brady in that esteem of, you know, look at his age, look at the longevity, look at what he's done over such a long period mm -hmm. of time. And like you said, not very common for guys to play in the NFL for, you know, 10, sometimes 15, let alone 20 years, let alone going into their early 40s. At some point, though, when you're hearing these conversations about Tom Brady and, oh, man, he's turning 41 this year. He still looks good. 42. Can he win another one? Are you saying, mm. guys, I did this first before him? You know, he, he's getting <laughs> he's getting the recipe from me. No, I, I think in a sense, um, you know, you know, being humble in that way, right? Because you know, I just came in and played in a different era. Like if I would have come out with my skill set that I am now, then you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'd be like, you know, doing NFL pro day, trying to figure yeah. out what, <laughs> what, you know who I'm going to get drafted by. But right, I just think now, you know, what brings me confidence now is you know I'm at 57 years old and. And, you know, I can go on the field and you can be sitting out there, sitting in the stands watching, you know, me and Brady play and you go, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find no difference. And he's still playing right now. Right. Because of, uh, you know, your ability to take care of yourself. You can still spin the rock, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm still enjoying in the teaching aspect, but, you know, I'm still throwing the football and like not really like lost any, arm strength or anything like that. And so I think like that is just, you realize that the longevity of, of your skill set and what you can still do, right. Makes you <laughs> have the same confidence or talk the same way that I'm talking right now. It sort of sounds like if the it's CFL like, like, is like almost it, all I have to do is get in shape and I can go to someone's training camp at 57. And that's what I was going to ask you. It sort of sounds like you're saying that if, you know, a CFL team came a knocking, came a calling and said, Dame, listen, we need one year out of you. Yeah, I can be a backup for somebody right now. That's insane. That is amazing. That is, I mean, I'd pay to see that now. Like, I would take my money now. <laughs> let's go. Would, I, think, I think people would pay to see that uh, because, you know, they need good stories like that because I – like Mayweather says, you know, the people are going to pay to come see me play because they like me. 
Yeah. And then you got <laughs> you're gonna have people that pay to see me play because they don't think I can do it. So that's right. Either or, I'm bringing people to the to, to the stadium. I mean, listen, that that couldn't be more true. I think that would be amazing. And I think as soon as you sign that contract, whether you play or you don't play, Disney is going to come knocking next and say, we'd like the rights to your story. We want to make a football movie about you. And if they did that, you know, if they said, we want to do a movie that highlights the amazing successes that you've had from six years old playing football uh, to, you know, where you are now, if you had your choice of mm-hmm. a specific time period in your career that you could highlight, when would it be? And the second question is, who would be playing you in that movie? Who would be playing me? Yeah, like what actor? What actor would be playing Damon? Maybe Denzel. Allen? Oh, be Denzel. <laughs> I like it. Denzel I would, like it. Would play that role, and I mean, yeah, it, it's it, it's it's pretty unique uh, story when I look back because you know you have to understand I went as a young man you know going into high school you know you you're dealing with the uh, the the prestige of your brother Marcus like he was dominating and so you come out three years later come out the same high school and then you're playing quarterback because he played quarterback at his unit at high school so automatically the pressure was on me is like when I started playing they were like oh you don't play like your brother Marcus but okay but it didn't matter because to me it's like you know I was a really I was a real true quarterback right. up. I played quarterback ever since I was seven eight years old and so how do you do that and how do you deal with those things right with the pressures of you know who your brother is and you know he's number one player in California right <laughs> Yeah. He plays quarterback and free safety both ways. And so, I mean, he was a dominant player coming out of high school. That's why he was number one recruit in California. But he only wants one CIF. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I came, yeah, I won two. So, I mean, that, that's always something I can always say. I, I won two at Lincoln. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, right. and and you got your great cup championships as well, right? So, you know, <laughs> right. you show off that hand. You've got four. He's got that lowly one Super Bowl. It's like, listen, you're you're going to be, uh, you know, getting but, you me know, the next drink. A, he has an uh, amazing resume too. I mean, oh, for sure. And <laughs> look at his. It's like, okay, <laughs> won a Heisman, won a national champ too. Uh, he won every award imaginable in, in National Football League from Rookie of the Year to Super Bowl MVP to MVP to League MVP to yeah. Comeback Player of the Year. And, you know, come on, man. I was I was trying to make this about you, and then you made this about your brother. No, I am my brother. <laughs> that, this is true. Now, um, I want to ask you two last things before I let you go. Um, mm-hmm. And um, one of them was, you know, you pitched in the 1984 College World Series. You went out, won a championship. You get drafted in the seventh round by the Detroit Tigers, but you never sign. And then in 1993, you signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates and even attend spring training. At any point, did you think that you weren't going to have the professional career in football and that baseball might have been the way you wanted to go? No, I, I think for me, it's uh, during that time. And the reason why I did that is uh, it was an opportunity that came about. And then the same time, when I look back, um, I never really closed that door or never experienced going to spring training. 
So that was something I had to do. Right. I had to do to fulfill, you know, uh, you know, what if. And right. so when that opportunity came, I, I trained for it. I worked out for it. And then I, they signed me that day to the Pirates. Right. They signed me that day. And then uh, it was during the time I was with the Ticats. And then my off days, I was playing with the Hamilton Cardinals, you know, playing baseball on my off days. And and then when the, the trial came, I had to okay a trade for me to go back to Edmonton. Okay. And so when I okayed the trade, we decided we we're going to drive. So we drove on down through Pittsburgh all the way down, and then we drove into Edmonton. And when, Evan, when the Pirates signed me that day, I came to Edmonton uh, to accept the trade, come back to Edmonton to play. I had told him, I would say, I'm going to go, I'm going to play baseball in 94. <laughs> because that was the time when I did the trial, they wanted me to come to spring in 94. Right. Which ended up happening, we ended up winning the Great Cup that year in 93. We yeah. ended up winning the Great Cup in 93, played the full season, went back to training, and then went to training camp with the Pirates in 94, the same time Michael Jordan was there. With right. the, uh, he, he was with the uh, the White Sox. Yep. So I was playing during uh, during the time Michael Jordan was playing. And what an ex- what experience was was that like for you to be, not to say that you're playing against Michael Jordan, but even just understanding that you're again he's leaving his sport. You're just won a Grey Cup, so you've you're you know at the pinnacle of of your sport, and now both of you are in this you know testing out this this baseball passion. And I, you know, for me, is you know, I was actually a, you know a true baseball player all through university, right. and so I think the last time he played was in high school, and so you know, I, I never looked at him as a true baseball player, but right. the fact that that was one of his loves in high school, but it was amazing the, the amount of time when you seen him. I mean, he looked just as natural in the right field, running down balls. I mean. As far as hitting, he might have had a, a little bit of slow back, getting used to playing baseball again. Because I pitched against him in the, in the, uh, when he got bumped down to double A. And I was playing, and we played in Sarasota. My brother was there, and Spike Lee was there. You know, there's a video that's out that just shows that um, I struck him out twice Oof. Um, uh, in a game. But it was all cool. Like so, Even to this day, I mean um, – my youngest brother, Darius, was telling the story. He says, hey, you met Michael Jordan. And uh, Michael Jordan was telling him, he, he thought uh, Darius was was me. He's right. Like, and he was talking to Darius like, man, you, you know, it you know, was like custody. Like, you know, he struck me out you know, twice <laughs> in the, what you call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Darius to the story was telling me like, man, he, he thought I, that, uh, you know, that I was him. And so it's it's pretty neat that uh, you know even after that point we we became friends after that. Jeez, I mean, I I listed the accolades of trophies and championships and MVPs, and you're sitting on one of the greatest, you know, stories of all time, and right. that is going up against MJ in his baseball time and striking him out not once but striking him out twice to the point where he's getting upset, thinking like, hey, why are you doing that to me? That's amazing. That is that is. Better than anything I could have ever expected. I mean, we were both two athletes, man, trying to make it, and I was right. willing to. And I had a good, actually, I had a good uh, spring training. I mean, I was willing to give up football for it. Uh, really? And I go back for a year, absolutely. 
Wow. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to play baseball for a full year. And what changed? Uh, they wouldn't give me no, uh, you know, conversations. <laughs> the money I would lose. <laughs> right. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, if they would, if they would like compensate in half, I would have played baseball. Wow. Wow. Amazing. That's uh. But they weren't willing to give me any money, so I was like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Edmonton was like, thank you, thank you for not giving him the money he needed because mm-hmm. i'm sure they were happy to, to have you back and not lose you for a year to potential injury and all of all of the That's things right. that come with playing professional sports so i ended up coming back in 94 we you know we should have 94 we should have went to the uh, great cup but then i ended up playing for the memphis mad dogs in 95 so i was leaving to go stateside anyway because the cfl was expanding to the states so yep. You've you've literally done everything. You have played on the own like you played on an American team during the expansion time in the CFL mm-hmm. while still playing in the CFL. You've won amazing things at every level from Pop Warner to Pee Wee to you know college mm-hmm. world series, high school football, college football, Canadian football. You've struck out Michael Jordan twice in double A. I, what what have are you already immune to COVID nineteen? Because like that would be the next thing. You don't even need vaccinations. We're just taking your blood to heal the rest well, of I the pray world. Every day and uh, I always thank the Most High for His hedge of protection over me. And so I haven't had any issues with COVID either. But um, like I said, I don't take it for granted. So like I said, I try to do all the things that uh, allow you to enjoy life right and yep. uh, having the right attitude um, always having a smile on my face but like the end of the day like whatever i'm involved in i'm you know i'm competitive as hell right for sure be good and want to be good at it so at the end of the day you know the fire that never leaves now you're now you're being the best at being healthy like no one's going to mm. beat you at being healthy right now that is that, absolutely your next that's, pursuit that's the thing that i'm really uh always mindful of um you know eating better um learning more reading more now last thing really quickly just to get you out of here um when we first spoke i want to say maybe it's about a month ago we happened to connect on on the clubhouse app with uh hosted by ainsley uh, mcphail talking about how we're going to save the cfl and i very nonchalantly just talked about you know the XFL could be the X factor, you know, the new ownership could be a competitor to the CFL. And probably like two weeks later, it's announced that the CFL and XFL are in talks right now for some sort of partnership that has the mindset to grow the game. And we haven't heard very many details of this. Um, You know, it's rumored that they would still operate separately and they would play against each other a la AFL and NFL before the merger and have their championship teams play against each other. But a new thing that has come out is that the CFL is going to announce on April 19th the official delay to the upcoming season with hopes that some sort of partnership deal is in place because the XFL isn't supposed to start until 2022 you know, the CFL obviously wants to do something in 2021 mm-hmm. after canceling last season. You know, in your mind, does a partnership between the XFL and CFL work? And if it does, what do you think that partnership sort of looks like that elevates the CFL with this rich history and allows 
you know, the the XFL ownership to embrace the game maybe outside of Canada a little bit more? Like, what do you see? How do you see this partnership working if it's going to be successful? Well, I, I think that, you know, to say it can't work is just um, doesn't make sense because, right. you know, you have Bell and you have Rogers and they're doing partnerships together. Of course. You know, and banks doing partnerships together and these kind of things. So to say it can't work, um, that would make no sense. But the fact that what COVID has done is really expose the CFL in a sense that they need to look at a better revenue model. Um, or be more innovative in their rev- revenue model. Yeah. And in the same time, when you look at the XFL, uh, so often you know, it's misleading in a sense because everyone says the F- XFL, you know, hasn't had hadn't been successful in the you know two you know stoppage. Yeah. Uh, in the last couple of years, but their last stoppage has everything to do with COVID. Right. Because the numbers and everything was going well until COVID stopped it. And then they stopped it due to the fact that uh, I think it was in the spring, right? And so yep. it was fairly new uh, in the COVID when they started their season, but the numbers that they had in Houston and Dallas, I think the, the attendance was really good. You know, at the time they probably didn't have no TV deal, but at the end of the day, I mean, you have eight teams down there and you have nine teams here. And so to me is, how it can work, um, you know, and the challenges are what? You have a Canadian field, which is bigger, and you have a American field, which is smaller, that doesn't accommodate. And one of the things I had said, well, I said, why don't you just play CFL football? Because they already understand what arena right. is. They already right. had arena, so they understand the motion and movements. So why don't you just have CFL? in the States and CFL, like once again, uh, in Canada, keep the game the same or improve it in certain different ways. If you want to add a down, be, if you want to add another down, that means it will be no defense being played. <laughs> but in the States, you'll play with 11. Right. In Canada, you'll play with 12. So you get to add a person and you get to take away a person if a Canadian team has to go down there and play. So I think the game will still be the same, but but you're taking one player off the field because of the size of field. Right. So with the CFL field, you play with 12. When you play down in the States, you play with 11, but the CFL rules still apply. And I said that would be something for the first year that could work, and we'll still keep our um, – the main brand, what CFL is all about. Of course. And – and so that's something that, that can't be discussed. But if, unless you're going to make sand, you're going to go to U.S. game uh, or U.S. style football, and you're going to have to uh, manipulate some of the rules because you're just not going to remove the CFL because our history is much longer, uh, much wider sure. and, and, and greater than the XFL. And so to me is that would be the one structure I would say, you know, which, like saying, you can get by 11 man CFL rules and 12 man when you play on the bigger field. Yeah, I mean, the, the model's definitely there. Like you said, there are constantly, you know, rival companies bridging deals to make it work. There's definitely something there, which I'm hoping is the reason for the delay because obviously there isn't a quick fix to this. It takes time to work through models that are going to benefit both. 
both. You know, XFL is yeah. going to come in with money. The Rock, you know, Danny Garcia. The and I think our, our game is really good, and I think it really um, opens up to the fullness of, of football. For sure. It takes advantage of special teams, and you're going to see special teams, and you're going to see all these different things. You're going to see great returners on each team because there's no fair catch. And so you're always going to get a return. And so I, I, I just think, you know, the CFL game, our, our, like I said, our issue the first time around, we had great owners. Right. But our, the field didn't accommodate 12 men. Right. Right. And the, so yeah. that was the issue. So if we're going to play on U.S. fields, because there's no way you can expand the fields. Yeah, the way they're built right now, and if you would, the NFL would have went to the bigger field. Yeah, I mean, you're you're probably looking for to keep the history and then innovate because if you look at any sport, you know, the NBA's got their play-in tournament they're doing this year. Uh, they're experimenting with different rule changes in baseball to make the game more accessible, to make the game you know a little less time and fun. And the NHL is always tweaking things when it comes to overtime and shootouts and, and how mm-hmm. they do all of the things that they do. So it's time that, you know, the CFL, who has been notorious for not wanting to change anything, this is the time. Like the, the pandemic has forced you to create and seek innovation. You can't come back with the same product under the old model because for years or you're the losing same money. model. You're right. Yeah. You definitely have to because. You know, you know, more than 50, 60 percent of the, the revenue is from people in the stands. And so you're going to have to put a model in place that people who can't go to the game, but they can see and, and you can yeah. still generate money and still have that in place once the people come back to the stands. So you're going to have people who desire to watch the games, but may not want to go to the games, but you're going to have sure. people that want to go to the games and see it. And you and you pack those houses, but you still have the eyes in place you know, to allow people to, you know, buy the game or whatever it may be to watch it, right? And so, um, but yeah, you definitely have to look at different revenue models and see what's happening, what's going on, the innovation aspect. But, you know, that's the one thing I think COVID has done is really exposed the CFL and their financial structure. Yeah, they're either going to have to adapt and get better or suffer the consequences of, of what happens if you don't. And I don't mm-hmm. think the history will allow, or the fans will allow the latter to happen. So they'll definitely have to adapt and innovate. Uh, Damon, thank you so much. You were amazing, generous with your time and answering questions and putting up with some of my silly questions. Um, for no, those people, for those who want to follow you on Twitter or on Instagram to catch some of your upcoming golf cooking show workout <laughs> lives where can they find you they can find me on both uh the uh damon allen nine on my instagram and damon allen nine on my twitter you know also i have uh d9 allen is one of my other twitters on a, more of a, a podcast and i just really talk football there most of the time but uh, those are the two um Instagram follows that, you know, I pretty much are on majority of the time and talk to people. Amazing. And if you're on clubhouse, you know, you can always find Damon Allen checking into a clubhouse room, either on a daily or every other day. He's always there. Just, you know, I'm always out, but I'm only, only, only involved in the things I'm interested in. (laughs) I'm only in the rooms that I'm interested in. 
Yeah. So if you catch him in a room, it's because he's passionate about something that's going on there. That's um, right. Amazing. Follow Damon Allen. Uh, he's got amazing things. Great person to chat with if you ever get the opportunity to. Uh, the Big Old Podcast. You can find it on all of your major podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast. Uh, you can find it up on YouTube, uh, The Big O Podcast. Like, subscribe, share, comment. We have some fun announcements coming up very uh, soon. So stay with us and uh, follow along. But for my guest, Damon Allen, uh, I'm your host, Julian Ortiz. Thank you for watching and listening, everybody. Have a great night.